Hear now the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to him, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people And they set them before the crowd, and they had a a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with the disciples and went to the district of Delmanthua. And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. And he got into the boat again and went to the other side. And now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. They said to him, do you not yet understand? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. God of all mercy and grace. From everlasting to everlasting, we come before you in need of your food, in need of you, our bread of life. Feed us this morning by the power of your spirit, working, applying your word to our lives. We pray and we trust that you will do these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, A few years back when our family was living in St. Louis, going to seminary, I was going to school and I was... You know, working three or four jobs to make it by. And one of the things we decided to do was send our kids to the school that our church was running there. Now, uh, you can imagine going to school with a family of six. We didn't have a lot of excess cash for our school, so I wondered how we're going to be able to afford this. But the school kept on telling us, listen, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. And I was like, all right, I hope you can figure out a lot. So um, we sent our, our kids to school there. And I remember our first, first winter you know, we get the invoice for the next little season of school. I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Uh, and, uh, and as I'm opening 
the, the invoice, you know, fearful to look at that number. You know that bill that you get that you're like, I don't want to see the number there. <laughs> As I'm pulling the bill out, it says zero. It's been paid for. Someone in the church just said, hey, we're going to pay for your kids to go to school. And it was taken care of. I was like, wow. How amazing is that? What a faith booster those moments are. And the next year rolls around. Same time. I'm like, I don't, how are we going to pay for school this year? You know, surely God's not going to do the same thing again. And then this one day from school, Jaden comes home. It's my daughter. And she has a brand new, someone gave her a brand new uh, winter coat. And in her backpack was, backpack was, a, was a $500 cash. My first question was, Jaden, did, did you steal this? Did you, how, did you, how did you come across these things? And but no, someone from the church, again, graciously gave and provided. And, and then the next year again, though, even in the face of all that, in the face of seeing that amazing provision, the next year I was like, I don't, I don't think we can do it. And then I end up with a full-ride scholarship to the school, and everything is paid for. And it's just like, how does, why do I keep doubting that the Lord is going to provide for us? Despite God's miraculous provision in all of our lives, we still struggle to believe, don't we? You know, I used to think that, you know, if only I walked with Jesus, if only I could see those miracles firsthand, I would never doubt then. Or maybe you've thought the same thing. Well, here I am in this situation where I've seen his miraculous provision, and guess what? I'm still struggling with doubt, still struggling to believe. This is the disciples. The disciples are us, right? We forget we forget who Jesus is, even though we've seen the miraculous, even though they've actually already seen this same scene before, they question whether or not Jesus can do it. They don't know how Jesus is going to feed these people. They, they wonder, can this happen again? Was that just a one-time event? And in this, we're seeing something that's very prevalent within our own faith walk, which is doubt. Doubting God's goodness. Doubting that Jesus is who he said he is. We say we believe in him. We, we want to believe that he's as good as he says. But so often in our lives, we rarely step out onto an ledge where we actually need to depend on him. And we find ourselves, and when we find ourselves actually in need, we wonder, can, can Jesus actually do anything about this? Can he actually help us? Why do we struggle to believe so much like this? Even when we've seen his provision in the past, I think it's because he doesn't always provide the way we think he, he will, does he? He doesn't always do it on our terms uh, or, or on the timing that we're on. He often brings us actually to places of profound need, which we don't like that. But he also, often will bring us to profound need before he actually does provide. And we can actually misinterpret these moments of need as actually lack of provision. And, you know, we don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like the, the heat of this room. We don't like being uncomfortable. Uh, in, the problem with these things, when they're left unchecked, when our doubt is left unchecked, it can actually turn into unbelief, cynicism, which we find here in this passage too. So what do we do with our doubts? Perhaps more importantly, what does Jesus do with our doubts? What does Jesus do with our struggles? And this is what we find this morning. Is we find two responses and then a warning. Two responses and a warning to how Jesus responds to our, our doubts and our forgetfulness. The first thing we find this is this, that Jesus responds with compassion to those who doubt. Jesus responds with compassion to those who doubt. Look at, with me back at verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. 
So we see again, right? This has happened before. It's, it's borrowing language from before. This is not new. Again, there's a crowd, another crowd. This time, this is actually a Gentile crowd. The, the first feeding was to a pre- predominantly Jewish setting. This is actually a predominant Gentile uh, setting. And he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. So you get this crowd gathered, and they find themselves hungry. And it says for, for three days they've been with him. We don't know exactly how long they went without food, but it's likely almost all of those days they've been without food. They probably brought provision for the day. They didn't have coolers back then to keep their, their good food uh, nice and preserved, so they maybe had food for the day, but they've probably been without food for a couple days. So they're hungry. And Jesus sees their hunger, he sees their need, and it says he has compassion. And, and this word is more than just an emotion word. It's actually physical. It's to be moved in your gut for a need. You know, if you've ever seen someone in, in profound need and you get that feeling in your gut, it's like that. Uh, Jesus is feeling this for this people. Which, how awesome is it that Jesus actually feels this to us in our need, that he has compassion to us in our need. One of the things we find here, though, is that Jesus doesn't always provide for us at our perceived hour of need. He's actually okay with us feeling some hunger pains, which we don't like, do we? We think to ourselves, why not just plan ahead and feed us ahead of time? Then we'll never actually have to be hungry. But we find here is that our neediness is actually good because it's actually meant to turn us to Christ. You know, our, our pains... And our needs are meant to help us to depend on him and turn to him. And so as God leads us through this life, like the good shepherd that he is, he actually lets us feel hunger pains. I know many of you in this room are experiencing these kind of hunger pains right now, faced with impossible situations, faced with transitions. You wonder, does God care? Is he providing for me? Does he even listen? And I'm here to tell you who absolutely cares. He has compassion. He has moved to his gut for you. And we find that, that compassion isn't just mere pity. It's not just feeling sorry for people, but it actually leads to action. His compassion leads him to respond to the crowd and disciples with compassion, with provision. As we read this provision story, it should sound very familiar to us. Right? Just a couple chapters ago, we hear this similar story feeding the 5,000 men. It's so similar. In fact, there's some critical scholars who will try to say that this second event never even happened because it's so similar, which... It, in fact, did happen, Uh, but the fact that it happened so similarly as the last event underscores the unbelief of the disciples, that Jesus had to repeat the same thing twice for them to understand. We we begin to pick the story up again in verse 4. Seeing the disciples respond to Jesus' request to feed them, his disciples say, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Right, so the disciples answering Jesus' request to feed the people say, I don't, how can this happen? And this desolate place, the disciples are the last people who should be asking this question. It's like, did you remember when I multiplied bread and fish and fed 5,000? You're asking that question. Don't you remember? Uh, you, you know, it's a pretty memorable event, I would think. I would think we'd remember if we saw someone do that. It's a memorable thing. And, and yet here, they're doubting. It's like, don't you know who I am yet, disciples? And when you think about how Jesus will sometimes, or even in a little bit, respond to the Pharisees, you might expect him to actually lose patience at this point. 
to lay into the disciples. But this is where we find that Jesus responds to the doubting of his disciples with actually patience and compassion. Verse 5, he responds simply with this, and he asks them, uh, how many loaves do you have? They say, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to disciples and set them before the people and set them before the crowd. Verse 5, we see Jesus rolling up his sleeves, getting to work. How many loaves do you have? He's saying, okay, I get it, you forgot. Let me show you again who I am. I am the bread of life. Just like God fed the people manna in the desert, I came to feed my people in the place of desolation. You need a reminder? I'm here to remind you of who I am. I will do it. Seven loaves. Uh, Seven is not very many loaves. I've never fed 4,000 people, but I don't think that would be very big loaves of bread, you know, to feed 4,000 people. Uh, and you know, How many times do we doubt that God can use what we have because it isn't very much? I only have $2 to give. Well, it's not going to really affect anything. It's not going to solve world hunger. So why do we give? It's because of who you're giving to. What we see here is in the hands of Christ, our little is multiplied. In the hands of Christ, the smallest of seeds grow to cover the world. And he invites his disciples into this work, inviting them to bring whatever you have, bring it. And then I will show you again who I am. And we see this in, uh, as, it, as it continues on in this story. Uh, picking up again in verse 7. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets full. Again, we find the crowd eating. Again, we find the crowd being satisfied from this place of, of desolation in the desert to a place of abundance, from a desert to a garden. This is what Jesus does. Jesus is Yahweh. He does Yahweh things. He's the great provider. And even in the desert, even to this group of Gentiles, he provides so much so that there's seven baskets full of leftovers. There's this great image of abundance here. Jesus, patient with the disciples and their doubts. Jesus, patient with your own doubts, showing us time and time again of his goodness, reminding us that he is the great provider, that our hunger pains are temporary, that even in the darkest moments, he is there with you. And actually, our hunger pains actually are for our good, reminding us of something better, something greater. And even in our, our struggles, we find his love enduring. Jesus is the one who satisfies the longing soul. So the question for us out of this is, are you satisfied with the provision of Christ? Are you satisfied with him? Well, in your doubt, in your forgetfulness, Jesus has compassion for you. But one of the things we learn here is that we have to be warning, that we have to be careful to not let our, our doubt turn into actual unbelief or cynicism. But if it does, what we find here is that we actually meet judgment in Christ. This is the second response we see from Jesus, is Jesus responds with judgment to cynicism. Look with me back here at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. It seems that the Pharisees came to him ready for a fight, ready to argue. They were quick to argue. That's why they came. They wanted to test him. 
in a sense, they were putting Jesus on trial. Trying to, trying to, they wanted more from him. They wanted him to prove himself. And it's like, hello, have you not seen the things I've done? I mean, they've witnessed Jesus' healing. They have witnessed him feeding. They have witnessed him casting out demons. And this still wasn't enough for them. They still explain his works away. They want more. Right? They likely want him to, on, on a, to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did. They want him to prove himself. But the problem is they want, to prove, they want Jesus to prove himself on their terms. I do this, Jesus, or I won't believe. And Jesus responds very differently to this than he did his disciples. We see this in verse 12. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Again, we see this inward moving in himself. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. You see, this is a different inward growing. This is the opposite of the compassion inward. This is a profound groaning of frustration. He's saying, are you serious? Have you not seen the works that I've done? I will show you nothing else. Yeah, you, they have seen what he has done. And, and when he speaks of generations, he's talking about the people of the day who are still in unbelief. And the reality is they've actually seen Jesus' marvelous works, but it's not enough for them. And it actually will never be enough for them because they want Christ on their terms. How often do we demand the same from Jesus, from God? Where we issue ultimatums, do this, God, or, or I'll never follow you. But this kind of thing is actually more than just the doubt that the disciples were dealing with. It's actually cynicism. You know, doubt says, I want you to be true. I'm having a hard time right now. I believe, help my unbelief. Doubt is actually rooted in faith in this way. But cynicism says, I don't believe, prove it to me. But really, no matter what happens, they're already actually convinced in their own minds, which is actually the biblical definition of a fool. It isn't just unbelief, but this dogged desire to not believe. It's a commitment to unbelief. So even if Jesus did exactly what they wanted and called fire down from heaven, even if Jesus did all that they asked, they still would not believe. Because remember, we just had this encounter with the Pharisees where their problem is actually not on the outside. The problem is actually with their own hearts. Their hearts are hard, and they're still trying to manufacture holiness. And this is the attitude that they go to Jesus with. And Jesus actually responds with judgment and and leaves them in it. When the Gentiles gathered, they left satisfied. But here, Jesus leaves them with nothing. The difference in these stories is stark. Now you might wonder, where is all that compassion that Jesus showed the Gentiles? Where is all that patience that Jesus had for the disciples? I think there's actually two answers to this question. For one, in Scripture, when God passes judgment on his people, directly to his people, there's always an innate call to repent. And when people repent, even four nations like Nineveh, when we went through Jonah last fall, God relents from disaster. So the Pharisees know this. So judgment is actually a call to repentance. It's actually a kindness, right? If, if someone kept on walking into the freeway and, and you told them not to walk into the freeway uh, or lest you die, that's a kindness. This is what's happening here. Jesus is speaking plainly, and it's a kindness. But also, if Jesus really is compassionate and loving and a provider for his people, that also means that he's actually going to protect his people from wolves. And the Pharisees most surely are wolves, Right? The Pharisees are actually the ones that are supposed to be feeding the flock. They're the ones that are actually supposed to be doing the work that Jesus is doing. 
Right? They're the ones that know better. They're supposed to feed the people. They're supposed to prepare the way for the Messiah, but instead they're actually doing the opposite. They're hurting their people. And the compassion of Christ here is actually to judge them. Because Jesus is not content with leaders using their authority to abuse people, and he will not stand for it. So cynicism, right, is questioning who Jesus is with no desire to actually know Christ, and this leads to judgment. But doubt that leads you to faith in Christ is something that Jesus is very patient with. He's very patient with your doubts. He's very patient with your struggles, constantly wooing you to himself. And these two responses are leading to this final interaction where the disciples are actually called to heed a warning. And this is where our, our, our passage kind of finds its head in this last section when Jesus warns the forgetful. Jesus warns the forgetful. Look with me here again at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So the, the disciples here forget bread. Uh, and this is obviously mirroring what had happened earlier in the chapter. They forgot to bring food. They only have one loaf. And now they're worried about how they're going to eat. It's got to be like, come on. Jesus fed 5,000 plus. He just fed 4,000. I think he can feed 12 or 13 with a, with a loaf of bread. And on the surface, you know, I'm a pretty forgetful person. Uh, forgetfulness doesn't sound that bad. But when we're talking about the mighty works of God, forgetfulness leads to doubt, which leads to unbelief. And so Jesus responds pretty harshly in a, in a kind of a cryptic way in verse 15. He doesn't really respond to their need for bread. He cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples, it's like they didn't even hear what he said, because what do we see here right after that in verse 16? And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. It's like, okay, Jesus, sure, that's great. Let's, let's talk about this whole bread situation, that we're hungry. And what Jesus is saying is this, be careful of your doubts. If you forget who I am constantly, if you constantly doubt who I am, if you let them fester, it'll turn into cynicism. You'll, you'll be like the Pharisees here. And obviously we know one of the men that was with Jesus was leavened by the Pharisees and Herod and Judas, and he actually betrayed Jesus. So Jesus is warning them here. Be careful. Do not let the unbelief of the Pharisees creep into your life. Remember who I am. I just did this for you. Do not forget. And then he goes on this tirade of questions to draw them out. And even in these questions, we find Jesus' patience and compassion for his people, drawing them out even in their stubbornness, even in their clinical forgetfulness here in verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? You know, this passage is actually bookended by a healing of uh, the blind and the, and the deaf. He's like, are you like that in your own lives? Do you not hear and see the things I have done? Do you not remember, he says. And then he, this is, I love this. When I broke five loaves, he's recalling their history. When I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And I got to have been like, oh gosh, uh, 12, you know. And, and then seven for the 4,000, how many baskets did you take up? Seven. Do you not yet understand? I am the God who provides. So much so that there's leftovers. 
I am the abundant provider. And when we come across some of these numbers, like 12 and 7, uh, sometimes we have to be careful not to read too much into them. Uh, but some of these numbers actually, I think, have deeper meaning, especially when they're repeated here. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, it was a crowd of Jewish people. And he says they took up 12 baskets of broken pieces. As if to say that he's gathering in the 12 broken tribes of Israel. He's, what was scattered is made whole in Christ. And not only with the Jewish people, with the Gentiles too. There's seven uh, baskets full with another re- re- repetition of words. You get seven broken pieces. Broken pieces put into seven baskets, and seven is a number of perfection and completeness in Scripture, seven days in a week. He's saying, listen, my work is actually perfected in the nations. Gathering in broken pieces, Jesus will feed the world with a cup that overflows. And he asked that haunting question, do you not yet understand? He said, I am right in front of you. I am the Messiah. I am the great provider. You have seen this. You have heard this. Remember, do you understand what a haunting question for us? You know, no matter where you are at in your life, no matter what you feel about the Lord's provision, the Lord is actually providing for you. How can you say that, Craig? You don't know my life because he provides for his children, plain and simple. Even in the wilderness, he feeds them manna. Even in their wandering, he is there. Even in the place of desolation, Christ is with you. Even in the, his punishing of them, his discipline of them, he provides. And for you and I, he has provided his own self for our heavenly food. He is the bread of life, John tells us, the one who tasted death, the one who spent three days in the ground with nothing to eat but rose again from the dead, offering us himself to eat because he is life itself. Not even the chains of death can hold him. This is what he actually feeds us from his own self to sustain us. And if he conquered death, then we are united to him in faith, conquer death as well. And in these eight questions, we find here there's a call for us to be a people who remember. Not just to remember how he showed up in our own lives. That's important for us to keep personal records of how he's a personal testimony. But also, more than just our own personal reminders, we actually have the reminders in the word of God. Where we can recount his holy deeds. You know, this basically sums up most of my work and our work as a community to actually remind each other of the things that you already know. So when we wonder, is God's love really steadfast? We read Psalm 36 and we say over and over, his steadfast love endures forever, recounting his works, recounting his creation. Let us remember who he is. Let us leaven ourselves with God's word. Let us fight our doubts and not let them fester. Let us pray that prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. Christ himself is your provision. He satisfies the longing soul. If you long, go to Christ. If you struggle with cynicism, ask God to soften your heart. If you are broken, go to Jesus. He will make you whole, gathering in your broken pieces. Even in desolate places, he will feed you. More than just feed you, he will satisfy you. I mean, that's why we love feasts, right? At the end of a good Thanksgiving meal, you are satisfied. You have to undo the buttons of your shirt and you gotta lay down in that couch. That's the picture of the Lord's abundance here. It's not just enough. It is full satisfaction. It is leftovers. 
The Lord is our provision. The Lord has provided, and he will provide again. May we be a church that is satisfied in the things of Christ, that come what may, we pursue him in the midst of our doubting, in the midst of our struggles. May we remember and point each other to remembering the works of Christ. And in this remembering, may we be a light to the world. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father, we give you thanks for your abundance, that your word is our abundance, that we can study it year after year for thousands of years and still not come close to draining it of its wisdom and encouragement and sustenance for our daily living. What an amazing thing that is. We pray that we never turn away from your word that you help us to, to feed on it, that you encourage us, you encourage the brokenhearted here, and that you help us to find our sustenance in you and in you alone. May we be a people who remember. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.